But I want to make the point this morning that God uses singles in his, in his kingdom. All right? That you are not a misfit, you are not a misplaced, you are not an albatross or, you know, like a mole that needs to be removed, that kind of thing. That God has high regard for singles and that he will use you and use you well depending on the state of your heart and whether you want to be usable to him. I, I went through the Bible and just looked at the people who were single that God used, and uh, here's some of them, All right? So Adam, right, he was single when God gave him the responsibility to name all the animals on the earth. That's a pretty big responsibility. You think of um, what was involved with that. Everything we know today comes from Anna, Adam naming the animals. Now, obviously, Adam later... Uh, was married with Eve, but uh, he was used pretty significantly uh, by God in that. Then you have Isaac, who was single. He was actually a teenager when he was used by God for one of the greatest objects lessons in all of history, the mirroring of Jesus' sacrificial death for us. And it goes all the way from the cross back to Abraham. And uh, Isaac was a part of that illustration. Joseph was single when he had his dreams from God. And uh, and a matter of fact, those dreams set his life in motion and he had to go through all kinds of turmoil and tribulation and uh, sacrifice before he got to the place uh, where he became the leader of Egypt. Another person who was single uh, when he was called was Samuel, uh, was called of the Lord. He was a, a young boy and he was single in his early life and uh, he was used significantly by the Lord in, in the Old Testament. Then you also have King David. He was single when he killed Goliath, right? So that's a pretty significant uh, step of faith, a pretty significant victory, a pretty significant way to be used by the Lord. David was also anointed as the king when he was single. You have Solomon, who was single when the kingdom was handed to him, right? Matter of fact, Solomon was eight years old when this kingdom was handed down. How would you like to be a king at eight? Think you'd have to trust the Lord a little bit in that position? That'd be kind of a wild setup. Isaiah and Jeremiah are two guys that were pretty significantly used by the Lord Jesus, and both of them were single when they were called in the early years of their ministry, uh, when they started out. And then, of course, you have Daniel, who was single his whole life and served uh, in exile among some of the greatest kings who ever ruled on the planet, and is considered to this day one of the greatest people in the Bible, uh, and uh, had an exemplary life uh, before the Lord. Some other people that were single, the disciples. Most of the disciples, what we don't realize, were teenagers. Okay, Now, we know Peter was married, but most of the disciples were teenagers, and um, what we would call late teens, and uh, were single when they followed the Lord. So we often don't factor that in. The Apostle Paul was single his whole life and um, served the Lord in, uh, I would say, a pretty significant way, right? Timothy was single during his time with Paul. We don't know if Timothy got married later on, but we know that he was single. And many of the instructions in the New Testament that deal with singleness are, are Paul instructing Timothy on how he should handle himself. And uh, Timothy was known as a godly man, and he was sent by Paul for very significant assignments 
on the different missionary trips to other churches that Paul was working with, and he was uh, uh, a, a leading elder. And then, of course, Jesus was single on his time on earth. And so one of the things there is that singles, Jesus does understand what it's like to be single. Uh, Hebrews says he faced every trial and temptation that we face here while we're here on this planet and has worked with it and understands it. So he has compassion for you in that setup and he knows what it's like. And so that's why he talks to you about it uh, that way. I just want to say as singles, they're held in very high esteem here at Northview. It's our firm and united belief that God loves, uses, and raises up singles for his ministry purposes here at Northview and abroad. And they may not always be single, but we can, uh, they certainly can be uh, spoken to and used by God. Let me just run through some names uh, you might recognize. Uh, James Lund. James Lund was single when he went all through China and uh, was used by the Lord. His wife, Sarah, who they are now married, she was single when she went to Africa with YWAM and was uh, in Africa serving the Lord uh, before her and, and James met. Uh, David Bordner was here just two weeks ago. And David is a tremendous guy, went to Slovenia single, all right, and served there and then uh, met Katka there and they uh, got married. But he was single when he launched into missions. Uh, Katie too, and Andrea Larita. Katie will be doing worship for our women's retreat. Andrea will be speaking. Uh, both of them significant significant players, have been to places in the world where most men would not go. Incredibly dangerous places. They are missionaries par exemplar. I mean, just a phenomenal people and worth listening to. Uh, they are both single at this point. And also some names just in Northview's history. Barry Landis, right? Some of us would recognize that name. Barry was single when uh, he was the youth director here. Randall Templin, uh, was single when he was when Barry left and got married, and then Randall took over. And Randall also is now married, but Randall was single when he served here. Carlin Hillerstrom, remember that name? Carlin was a standout uh, ladies uh, for uh, the youth uh, lead director for the senior high and the gals in the youth program. Uh, Terry Ann Maples for years helped and worked with the. Uh, students and did uh, all kinds of things. I can remember her running a quilting class over at the old place and um, she's married now. Janine Summers is still among us. Uh, Janine has done all kinds of things and attends the prayer meeting every Sunday morning before the services. We meet up in the conference room and we pray from 810 to about 830-835 and Janine has been a significant part of of that uh, time together. Uh, our own Brooks August, the head of student ministers you saw up here, he's single and we like him a lot, all right? And then also even Wilson, uh, when Wilson first came to us, he was single. Then he went away, got engaged and came back married. But when Wilson first came, he was single. So even in our history, there are, and I, I'm leaving out a bunch of people, right? There's all kinds of people on youth staff. And the reason I'm leaving out is they said, hey, Mitch, don't single us out, okay? Right? There, there's really significant people that are singles that make Norfew what it is. Without them, we would not be anywhere close to the ministry that we are today. And so uh, God uses, loves singles, and expects them to obey, just like he expects married people to obey. So let's move into this a little bit. Um, 
We're talking about the growth of faith and obedience and character. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, uh, let us, we left off with this last week, let us purify ourselves from everything that con- contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of a reverence for God. The single years are often in the teenage years and they often have to do with um, lots of firepower, right? We would call these the years of fire. Uh, the single years are often an incredible test in the area of sexual purity. And no more so than today. Uh, where access is but a click away. Uh, purity when I was a single person versus purity now is a completely different ballgame uh, in the sense that um, we used to have to be sneaky and fight and find clever ways to find sin where now you don't even have to look for it. It's just splattered across everything. And so I think the dilemma becomes even more difficult uh, today. Paul says this to Timothy. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And then he says, so later, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It is true today, that, as it has always been, that purity, sexual purity, is very important to the Lord. Now, married people don't have any problem with this at all, right? So you, you don't have to worry about this. It's just the singles who wrestle with that, right? <laughs> no, we need to say it as a church. Married or single, sexual purity is still a very big issue with the Lord Jesus. It's something that he calls us to. It's something we are to take seriously. It's something we are to fight. It's something we are to flee. It is something that we are to wrestle with. In 1 Corinthians, Paul exhorts the Corinthians, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. When we use that term sexual immorality today, we almost don't even know what it means anymore because it isn't divine. But very clearly, the two big pegs in Scripture are uh, sexual immorality as for a single person is fornication. And fornication is simply having sex with, before you're married. God says don't do that. God says abstain from it. God says avoid it. And God says learn the character lesson. If you're married and you have sex with someone else besides your partner, that's called adultery. And that, God says, to avoid that like the plague. And that we are to be faithful in our marriages, not just in action, but also in heart. And those are the two big pegs that God drives in the law. And everything else hinges off of those two words, fornication and adultery. Uh, Those words aren't almost even used uh, in our culture anymore. But God is doing that not because he's a killjoy. One of the things I point out to engaged couples when they come into my office is I ask them that they would not be sexually engaged, that they would not live together. I do this even for non-safe couples, and they're like, wow, why? And uh, when I show them that sexual intimacy is a false intimacy, that is not really what intimacy is. 
sexual intimacy is a reflection of your intimacy, right? And intimacy is being able to go through crisis together and stay bonded on, as a team. And then it, it's primarily spiritual. And so if you are spiritually united as a couple, then the sexual relationship works. We call it literally the icing on the cake, right? Is, sex is meant to be a complement to the reality, not the reality itself. And too often we make it, especially in our culture, the essence. But I, I, I can show you how this works. If I, if, imagine go back to your wedding. I know this is a message singles, but go back to your wedding, and you probably had a wedding cake, right? So if I snuck into your wedding and I took a spoon and I scraped all the icing into a bowl and I showed up your honeymoon morning, a little weird, knocked on your door, hey guys, guess what we're having for breakfast? Frosting, right? Okay, right? Then I come back at noon, hey guys, guess what we're having for lunch? Frosting, right? I come back for dinner, knock, knock, knock. Hey guys, guess what we're having for dinner? By the time you see that bowl the third time, what are you going to do? You're going to throw up, right? Because frosting was never meant to be the reality. It was meant to be the complement to the reality. Right, guys? It's the relationship. If you're married with your spouse, is meant to be the reality. If you're single, it's your relationship with the Lord. It's called being wholly devoted to the Lord. Having your heart set unto Him. And so in this, when, if we throw this aside, 1 Thessalonians 4 has this encouragement and warning to us. It says that it's God's will. So many of us want to know what God's will is, right? Oh, if I only knew God's will. If you just tell me what it is, I could follow through. Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this. It's God's will that we be sanctified. The idea there of sanctified is being set apart, all right? That we be sanctified, that we should avoid sexual immorality, that's fornication and adultery. That each of us should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, by the way, Emerson Egerix has an interesting point in that uh, a person who's a heathen, just simply somebody who doesn't know God, tends to treat sex as kind of an animal thing, right? Uh, Emerson points out in Love and Respect that uh, humans are the only uh, species that makes love face to face. That's significant. Okay, that's designed by God. Think about that once, and think about the impact of that. It says here that we shouldn't act like heathens who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong his brother, or take advantage of him. And in another translation, New American Standard says, "Shouldn't cheat or defraud." Right. We shouldn't cheat or defraud each other. So that's, we shouldn't cheat or defraud in fornication, singles. Shouldn't cheat or defraud in adultery, married. All right? Uh, how do we defraud? Defraud is the idea there that I act like I'm for you, but my real purpose is to steal something from you. And to act like I'm for you in such a way that you would never know that I'm stealing it while I do it. All right? And certainly that applies to the whole area of romance, Right? Because what does a guy say? I love you. What does a girl say? Where's my ring? Okay? Uh, two totally opposite motives. Uh, when you see a couple making out, it looks like they're doing the same thing. They aren't. Completely different motivations for the two of them. But here's the important point. It says, In this matter, no one should wrong his brother, take advantage of him. The Lord will punish, or it says, 
the other translation, the Lord is the avenger in all these things, right? The movie Avengers is a big hit here lately. And uh, when we think of an avenger, what does an avenger do, right? Superman, Batman, Captain America, old school Lone Ranger, right? What they do is a wrong's committed. What does the avenger do? He comes in and writes the wrong, right? So whether you're single or whether you're married, this is the catch-22 for a Christian, When we sin sexually, the one who's coming after us to right the wrong is the very one we're praying to. Little bit of a catch-22 there, right? And many of us have been in that catch-22 and know what what that feels like. So the Lord will punish or avenge men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore... And here's the important part of that text. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit. How well does the Christian life work if you don't have the Holy Spirit? Any of you ever tried to do that, right? Uh, I will live the Christian life off my own merits. I'll perform it by my own energy. I'll pull my bootstraps up and, and act Christian. How well does that work? Uh, It's a death sentence, right? Like chewing on sawdust. It is just a miserable, miserable thing. Without the life of the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. Okay, We are entirely bankrupt without that. And so this is a warning uh, for that. By the way, when God says these things, it is not to punish or chastise us, or he's not the great killjoy in heaven. He's saying it to protect us. He knows what sin does. He knows what these kind of entanglements uh, create. And many of us watch, and sin looks good when you first chew on it, but it turns into a mouthful of gravel after. And you want to talk about tangled messes, just watch somebody who's launched out sexually to go do what they want and watch what comes of their life. Okay? Uh, just uh, incredible impact there. But there's some other qualities, all right? Let's come back, and and singles, this is for you. So there's some other qualities that God works on in singles. Um, Now, all of the qualities I'm going to go through have to do with or involve timing, all right? So just underscore that. If you're single this morning, underscore the issue of timing and look at this um, because it's the topic behind the topics we're talking about, all right? So the first one, anger. We've talked a little bit about this in terms of marriage uh, and said that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. In in Colossians, it says, but now you must put them all away. And here's the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Notice how those all go together. They're all sins of the tongue. Your tongue tends to reflect your spirit. And then God says, take those things out of your spirit. Um, anger knows no division between young and old. And the issue of anger, uh, especially when there's hot passion and fiery zeal, which often young people have, right? Uh, anger cannot be far behind. Often it railroads off of passion and zeal into anger. And many of us are angry and don't even know it. And the Lord will consistently talk to us about that. Um, We think we have a right to be angry because God's angry. There's a vast difference between God's anger and our anger. His is uh, 
sovereign. His is balanced. Ours, we don't know how to turn that furnace off once it gets rolling. And once that gets rolling, anger can stain almost everything. And if you don't handle it when you're single, you definitely need to handle it when you get married, and it's better to practice it now. Word of wisdom. Second one, patience. This is always the fun one, right? This is the choke one right here. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says what? Love is patient. Why do you think God put that first in the list? What are we lousy at? Patience. We're not good at it when we're single. We're not good at it when we're married. But particularly when you're single, it can seem, you know, that verse where the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. When you're single, a day can feel like a thousand years. And God's stacking thousands upon thousands in, in your world. It seems to stretch out forever, right? And patience is really hard to get a handle on. Uh, if you look up there, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, uh, and go on with the rest of the list. It's included in the fruit of the Spirit. So one of the things that uh, for a single person uh, is important is to master this issue of patience. And almost patience almost always has to do, in, as a single world, with timing, right? And often our timing isn't God's timing. But think through these people. Joseph's dreams. Joseph had dreamed that he would rule his uh, family. And uh, that dream, those dreams, got him thrown into a pit. Those dreams got him thrown into slavery in Egypt. Those dreams then got him thrown in jail for something he didn't do anything wrong about. And, uh, and then he sat in jail uh, two more extra years. So about 17 years, Joseph was in jail. That's a long time. That's a long time. And I remember when I was single and I was uh, 24 and thinking, okay, I-, I can get married. This is awesome. And 24 turned to 25, 6, 7, 8, 9, 30, rabbinical age. Ha! I'm going to get married. Yes! No. One, two, three, 35, 36, 37, 38. That's a long time. And let me tell you, God used that furnace to forge things in me. Uh, Emerson says that first you get saved, and then you learn a lot of right stuff, and then character comes, right? And I would tell you that's true. I I learned character. Now, much of it, I, I didn't... Singleness was the double-edged sword that God used in my life, okay? Now, some of us get married when we're 20. Guess what sword he uses in your life then? Marriage, right? That edge cuts equally sharp either way you go. But that was a long time, and I found I had a tough time with patience. David getting the kingdom. I uh, was anointed and then told he was going to get the kingdom. He had to wait uh, 13 years total to get the kingdom. Hannah having Samuel. Ladies, this isn't just about guys. Hannah, remember, she wanted to have children. She couldn't have children. And she went to Eli and was mumbling. Eli thought she was drunk. And she said, no, I'm, I'm grieving. And he says, you go back, you'll have a child. And then later she gave Samuel uh, to the Lord. There's lots and lots of stories in the Bible dealing with patience, dealing with timing. And as it was then, so it is now. God has not abandoned his people. God has not left them. He has not forsaken them. But sometimes his sense of timing and ours is really different. 
And it requires incredible patience on our part. And we're, we have a hard time with that. The wisdom to wait and to know God's timing is an indelible asset in the kingdom of God. And yet it is often one of the hardest things to get a handle on, especially if we have to wait for it, and especially if we're single. That's a tough, tough challenge. All right, third one, perseverance. In Romans 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance is another word for perseverance. Perseverance and endurance both mean the ability to hang in there. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. One of the big misses when we read the stories in the Bible, as I've been trying to get us to catch on to here, is the timing aspect. We just read the story, they went through this, and it all worked out, and see, God always comes through. Isn't that awesome? And we don't connect the timing piece to it. How many of them had to endure. If you think about King David, that was not an easy deal. He was promised the kingdom, and he literally had to run for his life. And moment by moment, he could have lost that battle, and history as we know it would have been different. It is not an easy process of endurance sometimes to lean into the things that God has called us to. The ability to persevere despite how it looks plays into this. We keep going because God has promised not because of what we can see. But how often does the devil lie to us and say, God is not coming through for you. He's forgotten you. He's, not looking, he's got more important people. Do you think he's going to pay attention to your piddly requests? Seriously? With all the things that are going on in the world? He doesn't care about you. Well, you're weird. You're different. There's something wrong with you. He, he only works with healthy people. Satan loves to whisper stuff like that. Because he knows, he doesn't care when he takes us out, he just cares that he takes us out. And it's far better that he takes us out at the three-quarter mark than at the one-quarter mark. Because there's more people hanging on it at the three-quarter mark than the one-quarter mark. We keep going because God has promised, not because of what we can see. But that is sorely tested in the single years. I can attest to that. Especially if nobody shows up. And especially... If we are dating someone and they break up with us or the Lord himself tells us to quit dating them. Really? You know the old saying, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush? Okay, I'm letting the bird in the hand go. I see no bush. Okay, there's no burning bush. I Hello, I'm just letting it go for nothing. God, that's not a good idea. Couldn't I just hang on to that? I know it's not good and it's not working, but couldn't I just hang on to them for a little while because it's at least something? And God says, no. No, I'm I'm asking you to let go. Or worse, they break up with you. Now what? Chump change. Yeah, this is fun. Kingdom of God rocks. Awesome. Okay. Let's go on to the next one. Next one, perseverance leads into this one because it rolls right into trust. The Bible says, many a man proclaims his faithfulness, but who can, who can find a faithful man? Many of us 
uh, profess our trust of the Lord, but trust is hard to come by in the kingdom of God. And we want to be a trustworthy people, either single or married. We want to be a trustworthy people. Why? Because God is a trustworthy God. It says you keep him, the person, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Right? And this picture, this picture of the Lord is an everlasting rock comes out of the Old Testament. Many of you are reading through the Bible this year and you should be right there, right now, uh, Moses in the rock when they had no water in the wilderness and Israel grumbled and said, did you bring us out here to die? There's no water for us. There's no water for our cattle. You brought us out. Oh, if we could only be back in Egypt. Yeah, when I was, before I knew the Lord, boy, that's when life was fun. That's when I had options. That's when I could really go out and get my cat on. Now I know the Lord and sitting here reading the Bible, praying 24 hours a day. Fun. Whoopee. And the whole idea is, do I trust Him? Do I really trust Him with my one and only life? Do I really trust them? It's a, it's a major challenge. In this story, they struggled. Israel struggled in the wilderness, trusting them. Matter of fact, that story is when they got to the promised land, they ran in, they saw the land, said it was a fantastic land, but, but, large B-U, capital B-U-T, but, there are giants in the land, high-walled cities, we can't go in there. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And so they didn't believe Caleb uh, and Joshua. They believed the other spies. And as a result, they had to go back through the wilderness. And it says that they never entered the promised land, that generation, because they would not trust the Lord. Has God ever brought you up against something scary that's bigger than you that you can't conquer? Boy, for a single person, if you want to be married... That can be a big mountain, right? That can be a giant, giant hill. And guess what? Once you get married, all those go away. You never have another test in your whole life. (laughs) Obviously sarcastic, right? What you learn as single, you relearn as married. And whatever, if you stay single, then God teaches you those lessons uh, on different levels. But trust. And then, lordship. Uh, In our country today, it is very popular to have Jesus in your back pocket as kind of the go-to-heaven card. Uh, Or Jesus as the magic genie. Rub the lamp, the genie pops out, gives you three wishes, and you can get whatever you want. The idea that God is for me and wants to prosper me, and it's health, wealth, and prosperity, and I can have whatever I want. There's very little said these days about suffering or difficulty or the cross. And sometimes in singleness, singleness can feel like a cross. It can feel like a deprivation. It can feel like um, you are paying a price that nobody else is paying. But in Numbers 20, this is that whole story off a trust and lordship where uh, even Moses 
made a mistake and struck the rock twice. And because he did that, he wasn't able to enter the promised land. It has to do about, does the Lord have a right to ask something from us? Even if it feels like deprivation at the moment. Who is Lord? Is, are we Lord or is he Lord? And when you're a single person, that really comes down to how do I handle my body and do I handle it in an honorable way before the Lord? This story in, in Numbers 20, um, they got to the place where they didn't trust the Lord and they weren't responding to him in lordship ways. And there's all kinds of disasters. As you're reading through, uh, you're right there right now, you'll know a lot of the stories. But a lot of them died in the desert. Not because God wasn't there, but because they failed to acknowledge him as Lord. And there are a lot of people right now dying in the desert in our world today, especially singles. Because if you look at our culture, it says, let it rip. Let it rip in any style, way, shape, or form that you want to let it rip sexually, just let it rip. And God says, no, I've called you to sanctification, to being set apart. And the illustration that's used is one of a house. In the house, it says there's some vessels for honor and some vessels for dishonor. And in your house, that's probably true. You probably have some Rubbermaid garbage cans, right? Target, Walmart, you know, Kmart, whatever, uh, seven, eight bucks. And you fill them with garbage, you take them out, dump them out, rinse them out, kick them back down the hallway, right? If they break, you go back to Target and you get another um, Rubbermaid garbage can. Also in your house, there's probably some fine china. Do you kick fine china down the hallway? No, right? Which is tougher or stronger, the Rubbermaid garbage can or the piece of fine china? Rubbermaid garbage can. Which is more valuable, the Rubbermaid garbage can or the piece of fine china? By its very nature, the fragileness of the china creates its quality. And God says, treat yourself like a piece of, treat your body like a piece of fine china, precious as it is and valuable as it is, not like a Rubbermaid garbage can. And let me be Lord over your body. That is true for us. It's especially true for singles. So the encouragement from Paul here in 1 Timothy then is command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. If you're single and you're here today and you're young, don't let people despise you for your youth. Walk with Jesus. Walk with God. May your walk be evident. But set for believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in, what's the last one? Purity. It is still important for God that we respond in purity sexually. I know the culture would laugh at that, but that's really true. We need to close. But singles, God is for you. He knows that battle. Jesus walked the earth single. He knows the temptations. He knows that. He wants to come alongside you, and it's an issue of a whole heart. Will we track with him? Will we walk with him with a whole heart? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for walking through this. Lots of stuff I've missed, and there's so many other things we could put in, but I pray this is a good target. For my friends who are single, I pray your protection in this um, really dirty era that we live in. Lord, I pray that you will come alongside them in a special way. And I pray, Father, you continue to use them in our church family, and uh, they are valuable and important, 
And we need them, and we seek you for that in your name. Amen.